The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. So, the Ford Fiesta is going to stop production in June next year. You won't be able to buy a new Ford Fiesta from next year. It has been available for 47 years through various iterations. And Anton Savage, if this is such a popular car, why is Ford getting rid of it? Well, um, it's awful. I mean, it's the starting. No, sorry, I'm, <laughs> I am being facetious. Uh, I assume, as with all things, there comes a point with a brand where you say it is now becoming old and staid and no longer fits with what we want. And Ford, in particular, does a lot of brand engineering where they take a model name or designation and apply it to something totally different to try to garner sales. So if you look, for instance, at the Ford Mustang that's for sale in Ireland, it bears no resemblance to what a Ford Mustang is meant to be, which is a big, full-bore, V8-powered muscle car. It's a sort of an electric saloon. But the idea is that they will use the brand, use the name, to get sales for something that mightn't get the sales if it was called the X1. I assume the same works in reverse with the Fiesta. A brand that was always fairly stale, even at the best of times, is now that and old as well. Hold on, there must be lots of people out there who love their Fiesta, particularly maybe the first car that they were able to buy. An affordable car, which is a very important thing that's often forgotten, that for many people, a Fiesta was what, particularly in 70s and 80s Ireland, was what they could afford. Well, this is it. I mean, there, it's funny. One of the big, there's, a, there's an interesting economic argument about, if you remember the Honda 50, the motorcycle, yes. about the effect that it had on the regional economy around rural Ireland, because what it did was it took tradesmen who would previously have had to go, travel by bicycle, and it increased their range by a factor of five, and had a significant impact on particularly what local trades could do in the areas. You would argue that that early stage of cheap motoring probably did the same thing, that people could travel to college, where the notion of somebody young having a car would have been daft only 20 or 30 years before. And so, yes, absolutely, it did make a, a big difference. And a lot of people treated affectionately. The other thing is, in its defense that has to be said is making something like a Lamborghini Aventador or a Bugatti Veyron or one of those kind of things is actually relatively simple because you just keep writing checks until the problem is solved. Ingvar um, Camper, the man who started IKEA, he wrote a book called The Testament of the Furniture Dealer. And one of the things he said in it is, there is no such thing as good design on its own. It is only good design depending on price. So you can make all the wonderful design if you can, but if people can't afford it, then it's not a good design. And the Ford Fiesta is the perfect example of good design. It managed to get in at a price point that worked for the masses. And that's extremely difficult to do. Shane and Terran yours says I have a Ford Fiesta it's my pride and joy Sharon he has a name for the car is my baby he says okay I asked you to pick out four other cars that were great consumer favourites that the manufacturers gave up on and put out of production lots of listeners are giving me Ford cars as it happens you've also picked out one the Ford Granada Oh, yeah, the Ford Granada is remarkable. The Ford Granada used to be the car of middle management. You will be too young to remember this, Matt, but there was a time when you worked in the bank in Ireland. You were given a company car according to your grade of uh, stature within the bank and you couldn't go above it. So 
I think it was that the manager level got a Ford Granada and if you went above that you started to get into the Mercedeses and um, woe betide the man who decided because it was largely men at the time to jump grades and upgrade themselves it just wasn't acceptable the Ford Granada was hugely successful as a middle management and salesman tool uh, particularly all the way around the UK like the, the cars that went up and down the motorways uh, with sales rep were often big Granadas it was killed in the most remarkable way. They brought out a car called the Scorpio, which was um, seen to be the sort of the next level of middle management luxury. And it was, without question, the single ugliest thing that has ever been built. Not just car, thing. It looked like you took a slightly myopic cave-dwelling fish and concussed it. And in one sweep, it destroyed what was one of the great brands and the great models for Ford. I'm getting some great suggestions coming in from listeners. Keep them coming in to 087-4100-102. I'll get to them in a moment once we've gone through Anton's selections. You also have the Alpha Sud. Yeah, the Alpha Sud was a magnificent thing. The Alpha Sud was an exercise in um, Italian economic engineering because it was more to do with the Italian economy than it was to do with car design. They had a big uh, manufacturing plant, a big manufacturing hub in Turin up in the north, but the set, the Mezzogiorno, was always totally impoverished. So they tried to move manufacturing in there, and hence the Alpha South, the Alpha Sud, was born. And it was one of the first of the, the hot hatches, effectively. And absolutely absolutely magnificent car. It, it was the precursor to the Volkswagen Golf GTI and that whole era of hot hatches. Unfortunately, the Italians made it with steel so thin that you could read a newspaper through it. And the widely held belief was that they then took that steel and dipped it in the sea before they managed to make the cars out of it. So Alpha Suds, and I'm not making this up, could be seen arriving into Ireland on car transporters with their body panels already rusting before they had been sold. And what could have been one of the defining cars of an era ended up being quietly walked away from because it was so unreal reliable in terms of rust. Listener says the status of the Granada depended on the engine from a 2 litre to a 2.8 V6. Uh, You've also picked the Land Rover Defender. Is that not one that's still available? No. Again, a bit of badge engineering. You can still buy a thing called a Defender, but the original Land Rover is no longer in existence. And the original Land Rover is interesting because magnificent car. I mean, originally designed as the sort of the farmer's vehicle that could go anywhere, even had a power takeoff so that you could run agricultural equipment off it. But it's it's an interesting exercise in jingoism because the British wrapped their arms around it and regarded it as a wonderful piece of British design, whereas in actual fact, it is a complete and total rip-off of the Willys Jeep, the Jeep that the Americans used all the way across uh, World War II. The Brits looked at it and thought, that's a great thing, we'll do our version. But their version was very good, and sadly, the original one you can no longer get. You also have, I presume this is a rebranding or rebadging as well, because surely you can get a Mini well, this is the thing. Not only can you get a Mini map, but I don't know if you know this. Not, I'm not even sure a lot of people have noticed it who have the Minis themselves. When you buy a Mini in Ireland, its rear brake lights, every time you touch them, proudly project a Union Jack because they all have a Union Jack stamped in the uh, brake lights, which has always amazed me that they sold any of them. They even managed to sell them in the north, which I would have thought was a brave choice, but they do well nonetheless. If you want, by the way, just to get standard brake lights without the Union Jack, it costs an extra 800 quid. But anyway, the uh, Mini that now is bears no resemblance to the Mini that once was. It's a badge put on a totally different car. The Mini that once was was amazing. Fabulous piece of design. A guy called Alec Azigonis designed the car with hugely clever 
um, innovations. The engine sat sideways rather than in line, which meant you could shorten the bonnet. The uh, gearbox and engine were combined using the same oil, which again was very unusual and led you to package it very tightly. The end result was a car which to try to work on is horrendous. It's like in the Victorian area where you needed a six-year-old child to go up a chimney. You need hands that big to work on a mini. They are very frustrating, but they are a beautiful piece of design. They're exactly what we now should be getting into, which is tiny cars that don't use a lot of petrol. And the best thing about them was if you got a quick one, they were fun. And you like your quick cars, as I know. Okay, let's go through some of the listener comments coming in. Uh, Lexus IS300H, not available in Europe anymore. Bought a Mercedes instead of one of these a few years ago before I stopped selling in Europe. Still regret it. The Mitsubishi Lancer, I had three simply because they were so reliable and very comfortable to drive. Uh, there's another one that says, do you not remember the Ford Sierra? It was probably the first car to round the corners on the body. Prior to that, everything was pretty boxy. Uh, another one, Nissan Bluebird or Toyota Carina. Uh, there, yeah, they're gone as well, aren't they? Oh yeah, they? the Nissan, uh, Nissan Bluebird was quite, quite the car. Some of those, there's a lot to be said for the, the Ford Sierra. I mean, let's be fair, the Ford Sierra Cosworth was one of the world's great cars. It was built to homologate for rally use. So they needed to sell a couple of them on the road so that they could make them into rally cars. And it was a remarkable piece of design and engineering and still very popular. The, the prices for Cosworths, even though they're now 20 and 30 years old, are very strong. Um, listener says my father worked in Ford Dagenham when the Fiesta came out it was originally going to be called the Bobcat says Tim and Killarney I suppose that was an American name for it which would not have worked over here on this side of the Atlantic there's an interesting thing in that as well Matt which is the um Oddly, there is a, a, a transatlantic divide in terms of naming cars. In Europe, we tend towards letters and numbers. In America, they tend towards names. So we have things like the MX-5, the MR2, the GTI. We tend to use those kind of numerical designations, whereas in America, there are the Cougars and the Camaros and the uh, Mustangs and the Firebirds. They're very rarely they use just a straight number or a letter designation. Okay, more comments. Here, there's here's a little story from a listener. My dad worked in the bank in the early 1990s and he took out a loan to buy a Ford Escort. He changed his mind and bought a new Sierra. The bank manager went mad because my dad's car was better than his and he tried to (laughs) discipline him for lying about the application form about the car type that he was actually getting. Uh, Another listener says uh, Honda Civic is uh, their suggestion. Another one, Renault Scenic, uh, which was a great family car. Quite a few people saying Saab cars, like the 95 or 93, were great cars that you can no longer get. Oh, yeah, well... Saab did a couple of very clever things. I mean, Saab had some of the, like Saab had a two-stroke when nobody was still manufacturing two-strokes, but they also took a lot of the ergonomics from the the legacy of their aircraft design because, I mean, it's a long time ago, but at one point they also made uh, fighter planes before they got divided out. So one of the Swedish fighter planes is still the Saab Griffin, which I think is still in in operation, though it's uh, uh, like Rolls-Royce, the aviation side and the car side separated. But they took those ergonomic and design things and the end result is very quirky cars, but beautifully designed cars. The old Saab 900 Turbo, particularly the convertible, is one of the best convertibles that you can get. And again, very popular in the used market. The values are very strong. I'm very sad that the entire Saab company collapsed. Okay, one thing now to finish with, The reason Ford apparently are getting rid of the Fiesta and the focus from 2005 is that they're moving to all electric cars. 
that's what they're going to be fully electric all their passenger vehicles by 2030 so they're also getting rid of the X Max and the Galaxy as well so this is a major shift in what they're doing in fact they what they're now talking about is cars that will start at a starting price of around €35,000. Who's yes. going to be able to afford that? If we move to all electric cars, are we actually going to be putting an awful lot of people out of the market that they simply won't be able to afford cars? Which might be all right for people in urban areas where they have public transport alternatives, but won't be all right in the countryside. And all of these cars we've mentioned, I'd imagine they were essential, like your story of the Honda 50, for allowing people in rural Ireland to get around the place. Correct. And one of the things that you will see will be uh, a semi-apartheid in that what will happen is if you can't afford the new electrics, you'll end up having to buy the old second-hand internal combustion engine cars as economic policy moves against them even more. So you'll see higher tax on them and you'll see a higher excise duty on fuel to make it punitive. So the very people who can't afford to avoid those punitive taxes will end up being the ones saddled with them. It's going to be tough for some people. We'll leave it there. Anton Savage, thank you very much for being with us here on The Last Word of Today FM. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today FM.